Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm always a fan of going through and reviving history that seems all but forgotten. And the last time we had this guest on, he was talking about his book, Somerset. It's what a great book that was. And it's still in our podcast. If you want to go back and listen to that interview, we welcome back historian and author Philip Goodrich. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Hey, thanks for the invitation, Ryan. Appreciate it. This is, again, historic times we're living in, and it's probably a little bit easier to document this uh, time compared to what was documented some years ago. And that's what you've done in your previous books, like Somerset. You looked at really the founding of our country and really some amazing people of all uh, right around that, like Benjamin Franklin was a big part of the book. Well, I wanted to talk about the inauguration this week, and I'm sure some of your research for that book has uh, some comparisons and maybe even some relevance to what we're seeing this year. Oh, yes. There's there's some dovetails there. Um, Certainly, uh, once Trump made it clear that he would not attend the inauguration, um, that kind of lit a fire because uh, there was precedent for sure primarily uh, with John Adams. Uh, John Adams, our second president, of course, I don't think he understood how much uh, the world of history was going to hold him under a magnifying glass because he was setting precedent. I don't think he realized that he was setting a bad precedent when uh, he, he decided at the end of his term... <laughs> It had been pretty much a failed administration, and I think he was extremely disappointed in uh, his choice of cabinet. He was disappointed in what he was able and not able to accomplish, and he just really wanted to go home. Yeah, so at that point, there wasn't really a lot to look back to. You know, it's just something he decided not to do. It didn't become a tradition, you know, per se. When you talk about going back and looking at him deciding to skip that one, is there very little known why he decided to skip it? Well, along the lines that I outlined, it just looks like he was just kind of fed up with the entire situation. He was very angry with Jefferson right at that moment in time. They had had words and they had had uh, uh, some arguing about the uh, outcome of the election and uh, ultimately uh, uh, Adams, to a large degree, felt that uh, Jefferson uh, had manipulated um, 
Adam's character, and really it would be a long time before he would forgive Jefferson. I think he just felt very uncomfortable with appearing on the same stage with Jefferson at that point in his life. So uh, he actually didn't have much to look forward to. He didn't even have uh, family there. His wife wasn't there. None of his kids were there. He simply got on essentially the bus, the stagecoach at the time, and headed off to Boston. Yeah. I feel like, at least for this inauguration, this is probably the least thing people will remember about the Trump administration. There's so many other things that people are going to remember. Um, and uh, just even the last couple of weeks, it's amazing how much history was just made. So let's say John Adams, there was other presidents that decided to early on to skip the inauguration. It wasn't something that every president after that decided to do. I mean, it was a uh, recent history back into the first presidents of the United States, like John Quincy Adams, for example, also someone that decided to skip. Yeah, and there's an ironic um, um, trend in that um, John Quincy Adams skipped because, once again, there was some acrimony at the time of the election and uh, Jackson was succeeding him and Jackson had had words with John Quincy Adams. Uh, and then the third one to skip was uh, Martin Van Buren. And Martin Van Buren had had words with uh, William Henry Harrison, and they were changing parties. The thing that's significant is those are our first three one-term presidents. And our first three Hmm. one-term presidents all chose to not take the high road, if you will, but to simply bail out and say, the heck with this whole thing, and I'm going home. I guess if you really wanted to look at the odds, the precedent would be not to show up. I mean, three out of eight, that's pretty much like uh, odds wise. You're thinking, well, you know, about half of them don't show up anyway. So why even bother? (laughs) Well, yeah. And when and when you're uh, essentially the loser to the other party, how comfortable do you feel? But, uh, you know, I think in our tradition now, in the 20th and 21st century, we expect the outgoing president to take the high road. And we've seen that. I think I think the fact that uh, essentially um, Clinton and Bush could sit together and then Bush and Obama apparently had a very good exchange and were almost uh, fraternal towards each other at that change in power. So that's kind of what we have come to expect from our uh, presidents, that they are, you know, at the end of the day, they're civil people and they're going to take the high road and they're going to acknowledge their successor. Hmm. You know, somehow I wonder if Joe Biden is okay with it. I I feel like there's people that are going to be on the stage that'll be just fine that uh, Donald Trump decides not to go to that. I mean, they'll be happy with Mike Pence being there, I guess, representing in that sense. But if we go back and look at some of these different presidents, is it just a modern day thing that we start to pay attention to this? Or do you think people noticed at the time when the transition happened, the the, the former president wasn't standing there? I think certainly in the case of John Quincy Adams, it was noted. Um, The only people that seemed to notice it when Adams senior failed to attend Jefferson's were Adams's personal friends and they called him out on it. They said, you know, you're you're setting a terrible precedent here and you really should be here and he said, well, I decided that I wasn't going to. And that was all after the fact. So when his son did the exact same thing, yes, the political leaders on both sides called him out on that. 
people gave Van Buren a, a pass, and that's not clear why they would do that, because once again, it was uh, clearly out of hostility over the situation. Those also were the only three um, anti-slavery presidents we had before Abraham Lincoln. And huh. I don't think that's a coincidence either. They, so they, the, they were the only, they were the first three that were the anti-slavery presidents, that they were abolitionists? Yeah. They were huh. uh, certainly opposed to slavery, and they were from the North, and they were the only ones. Wow. Uh, that's an interesting yeah. connection right between Lincoln. the three of them. So uh, Exactly. So we've got presidents that not only are frustrated they lost to the opposite party, but they're frustrated they lost to either Southerners or at least Southern sympathizers. How big of their agenda was based around that, or was it just a coincidence they held that, but it wasn't something they pushed much when it came to, uh, I guess, the administrative purpose, uh, what, what they were trying to get done as part of an administration? In all three cases, it seemed to be just a personal grating on their nerves at the time. Now, later in his life, Martin Van Buren becomes a very staunch abolitionist and speaks out in favor of Abraham Lincoln and very much opposed to uh, the Dred Scott decision and to uh, the institution of slavery. Uh, John Adams made several statements about slavery. He said that he found it reprehensible, and he was very proud of the fact that he was the one president that never owned slaves. Um, as of uh, the Jefferson administration and the Monroe administration. So his son then was also the only non-slave owner until we get into essentially uh, Fillmore and Pierce uh, and Buchanan right before the Civil War. And they were all Southern sympathizers. You yeah. know, they were the ones that were pressing for slavery in Kansas and Nebraska. Huh. That is an interesting connection between the three of them. Do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love sure. to keep talking about this with you. I think this is great. If people wanted to look your work up, uh, you're an author and you do all kinds of other work uh, as a historian. Where can people find you? I'm at philgoodrichauthor.com. Perfect. philgoodrichauthor.com. And this is our second time having him on. He had a, a wonderful interview before on a book that he put together. And I think this was just a couple of months ago that we interviewed him called Somerset. It's definitely, you've got to look this book up. And we'll continue with Philip Goodrich coming up right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. In Overnight America News with author Philip Goodrich. He's a historian, an author. You can find his books online, philgoodrichauthor.com. With the upcoming inauguration, talking some stories. Thank you so much for sticking with us and hanging out with us tonight. I appreciate it. Quite welcome. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I find that the coincidence, the first three northern presidents, the first three anti-slavery presidents, the first three one-term presidents, what a interesting connection. I don't know if I've ever seen those things put together. Did you stumble across that and then had an aha moment when you were doing your research? Because part of your book on Somerset is why and how Benjamin Franklin orchestrated the American Revolution. And a big part of your book on Somerset in the last time we spoke was setting the groundwork of how Benjamin Franklin really made all of this possible when it came to the northern and southern states to try to push this forward with slavery and abolition uh, being a big part of it. Yes, and you're absolutely correct. I saw that and I thought, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was like, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but once you have 38 coincidences in a row, they're no longer coincidences. 
there's stories yeah, that have simply been covered up, and they were covered yeah. up deliberately. Um, mm-hmm. It's very clear that up until the Civil War, ma- many of the major political decisions made at the federal level in the United States had an undercurrent, at least, if not an overlay, of slavery. It was literally controlling uh, domestic policy. Wow. Let's. Um, I think we have a caller that actually wanted to ask you a question, and sure. we don't normally do this, but it was an interesting <laughs> thought because we were talking about not only the history, but right now the inauguration that's coming up on Wednesday and President Trump deciding not to go. I think Daryl may be on the line, and he had a question for you, if we can take that real quick. Sure. Uh, sure. Daryl, are you there? Question. Yeah, I am. How are you guys doing tonight? Very good. Great, hey, thank thanks. You. Awesome. Uh, love the topic. I'm, I'm personally a big fan of John Adams myself. Um, I, I wonder, and you can call it accidentally or deliberately. I don't care how it, can, it, it comes to pass. But it seems to me by Trump not showing up, it's taking the high road. Because I think we all can agree, I think I can get an amen, that if Trump were to show up at that inauguration, it would be less of an inauguration and more of a circus. I'll hmm. I'll hang up and listen. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Yeah, well, that, I wonder. That, that's um, a great. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Phil. Sorry. That's a great question. It's a great point of view. Um, it's hard to know because of the events of the past uh, two weeks have overlain the uh, the situation so much. But at the same time, it probably would depend on his behavior at the time. And if he were able to tamp down at least some of the uh, discord uh, in our nation's capital as well as across our nation, that might be worthwhile. Um, you know, we did see one-term presidents uh, taking the high road in the very recent past, including Jimmy Carter and H.W. Uh, Bush, who uh, both uh, had lost somewhat uh, bitter campaigns, and yet there they were, uh, seated with the new president. Um, so it probably could turn into a circus, as you indicate, could turn into yet another open forum. It's tragic that we're going to see uh, our, our military providing security across our inauguration on Wednesday, but that's the world in which we live right now. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a more complex question, as you indicate. Did you ever once hear the phrase, I'm a big John Adams fan in your life? <laughs> You know, yeah, actually I have. You know, John Adams, he took the high road on almost everything. He was very proud of the fact that he was not a slave owner, had never been a slave owner. He was one of the few founding fathers that could make that statement. A lot of people think Franklin was not a slave owner, and he most assuredly was. Uh, There were uh, politicians in Connecticut and New York that owned slaves. There's some indication from... Hamilton's uh, granddaughter that he owned slaves when he was living in New York. And it was not against the law in New York to own slaves at the time of the Revolution. So Adams could make that strong statement that I never owned a slave. And Adams, through the Revolution, was constantly playing the role of mediator. Adams was the one that reached out to the Southern uh, slave owners, including Richard Henry Lee. The two of those guys together... uh, carried the Continental Congress through a lot of bitter debates, and they kept joining hands from Massachusetts to Virginia and saying, no, we got to stay together uh, to get through this revolution. So, yeah, you know, 
nobody's a monolith, and Adams wasn't just uh, you know a crabby person. He could get very crabby very easily, but he also <laughs> did some great things for this country. I wonder too uh, the way historians will look back at the Trump administration, just like we start to dissect all of the others, but we we're watching so much happen. What do you think's going to happen a uh, hundred years from now when they look back at this time? Do you have any thoughts of how a historian's mind would work when they try to put this into a fair perspective? Cause I, it's going to be hard to find a lot of fair perspectives because everyone is just, uh, it, everything's been so wild lately. Right. I think what you're going to see is, uh, probably the greatest compartmentalization of an administration in our nation's history. I think they're going to look at it from a financial standpoint, and they're going to look at the uh, jobs information. They're going to look at the Dow Jones average. They're going to look at uh, a lot of those sorts of factors and talk about, wow, wasn't this an impressive performance? And then they're going to start talking about behavior, and they're going to start talking about uh, inability to fill jobs because credible people wouldn't take those jobs because they didn't want to be part of his administration, um, that he essentially left 30 job, 30% of the federal jobs unfilled throughout the course of his uh, four years in office because nobody would take them because they didn't want to work for him. So I, I think you're going to see all of this separated out and teased out, and you're going to get the good and the bad of Donald Trump probably forever after. Is that easier or is that harder for a historian to try to get an accurate picture when there's so many emotions based on the things that are being documented? I think it's easier for the historians. And what I've learned um, from the academic historians is they do not like to stand in controversy. Mm. They will avoid controversy at all costs. Um, at the end of the day, they're uh, trying to provide a service in educating the public and letting the public make its own decisions. And uh, so if there's anything controversial, they will uh, essentially make it as transparent as they can without putting in any, any editorial judgment at all. Yeah, we've seen some previous government things documented into movies by Oliver Stone, and he's somewhat of a controversial person. What do you think of him as someone that tries to, uh, I guess, take history and put it into a perspective that he sees as more realistic? Well, I think that uh, he's the king of editorializing, and uh, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would caution people to watch out for Oliver Stone because— uh, the one, if there's any positive there, it's he forces people to do their own homework. <laughs> well, that's a nice thing to say. That's good. And I always wonder, because he did that movie on George W. Bush and, of course, the Kennedy movie he did. And I, I was looking at some of these other things that he's documented, war, and I thought, well, I wonder if he's going to do a Trump one in the future. It just made me wonder if, what his take on this would be, and I'm sure there's uh, there's so many documentaries and things out there that have already talked about this, but the problem that we live in is that, at least for me, my guard is always up, and I think, man, all of this, it's ever, I don't know if there's too many people that can't editorialize at a time like this. It's so many people do it, and it's so hard to find the just the bedrock truth when it comes to today's history, and it's, it's even uh, growingly more difficult because you, you can't always trust the things you're reading. Exactly. All the news sources, uh, people have just almost been radicalized by videos, have been radicalized by the nightly newscasts, and uh, you just aren't really quite sure what to do with all of this right now.
it's going to be difficult. Um, I also wonder, too, when you go back and look at certain periods in history and you have a great fascination for the early founders of our country, is that where your expertise is? Are you always going to be searching for the next big story that hasn't been documented? Well, I'm more into the big stories that have been documented poorly. Let's put it that way. And I've actually, my, my, my project that I'm working on right now is actually 200 years older than the uh, American Revolution. So Wow, this is great. Awesome. And where do you go in times like uh, coronavirus where a lot of the uh, museums and a lot of the libraries are closed down? How do you find your information when you're trying to research that? Well, some of it has been archived nicely online, and you can, and those are credible sources as long as they're archived primary sources. And above and beyond that, uh, I think my Amazon delivery guy is my best friend, and uh, my <laughs> wife is my biggest enemy right now in terms of the cost of books, but there you go. <laughs> well, that's all you can do at this point, and it's good that you're doing it. Again, if people want to find— one ugly, I'm going to throw in one ugly plug before we sign off. Yeah, please. The Somerset is coming out in audio. I've been asked that, and it's coming out in audio in February. And the only reason I bring it up is because it's been cast. It, it's uh, a relatively uh, high-end production. Uh, it's by, by a cast of six or seven narrators. Wow. Um, so it's been extensively rewritten for dialogue, and it's going to play more like a radio show type thing oh, of the American that's Revolution. That is so cool. Yeah. When are they going to be recording that? Uh, it's already being, it's pretty much done with recording, and it's in uh, final editing now. So like I said, it should be out by February. Wow, congratulations. That's such big Thank news. You. I'm so happy to hear that. Is there information on your website? Can people find out that? Uh, if they Once go to it's released, up, it'll, just... it'll definitely be on the website and uh, as far as contacts to get the audio book. Because, you know, a lot of people don't do print anymore. They listen to it on their on their car phone, or I'm sorry, on their car radios and things like that. Yeah, and people love this. There's a great fascination for people to be able to consume a story that way. And there's a big need for people to uh, uh, to fill that because there's so many people consuming it that way. So it's a smart thing for you to do that, and it's great, too, because it'll make history come alive for so many new people. PhilGoodrichAuthor.com, yeah. and uh, when that project and many other ones that you're working on, I think people can just go to your website and they can keep up to date with the things that you're doing. And you're going to have to come back on the show sometime soon. I really enjoy the perspective. I, I enjoy it thoroughly myself. Just love talking to the people at KMOX Radio. That's my that's my hometown, St. Charles. Love it. It's so great, and it's always good to have you. PhilGoodrichAuthor.com. Thank you for coming back on to KMOX. Thank you again. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Wow. So a lot of talk about the inauguration. If you want to talk about that, you can at 314-436-7900. Also, 800-925-1120. I was looking at some of the executive orders that Joe Biden plans on signing day one. And then there was something interesting that came out today. 244 American heroes have been put on a list for statues in a garden project that the president was putting forward. So who are some of those names, local connection, things like that? Also, look at your weather up next to It's Overnight America, KMOX. And Overnight America continues in... Looking at some of these day one executive orders that Joe Biden plans on putting into place. Uh, it's funny because on the BBC, who laid out some of these, they, you know, they use the confused Biden look photograph. But if you were to look at American media who look at him as the second coming, they always have like this glowing light behind him. Like he 
like you know he was sent down from god himself and i, I like how over in the pbc they show a more realistic somewhat confused scratching head joe biden that was just a side note that they decided to use that and if you were to look at this article and i started to get an idea of the things that will be a top priority for joe biden when he takes office one of which is getting rid of the Keystone Pipeline on the first day. There's been reports of that happening. Last night, if you missed it, Shane Hewitt and I do a interview Sunday nights at 1230 a.m., Sunday night to Monday morning. He's in Canada. He broadcasts across Canada. And we asked him about the Keystone Pipeline specifically. How is that looked at on the Canadian side? And he said the Canadians hate the idea of Joe Biden nixing the Keystone Pipeline. Part of the problem that they're going to run into is they're going to lose a lot of access. And on top of that, trying to get rid of all this oil they have in Canada. They got a ton of oil just sitting around. They got reserves everywhere. And you get rid of a Keystone Pipeline, it makes it more difficult to export. Thus, you're going to lose a lot of money. So Canada is in for a financial hurt. And they're not a big fan of getting rid of the Keystone Pipeline. That more or less has been a political thing. It's been an environmental issue. But nonetheless, with everything that we've seen in the United States becoming more energy independent, it makes me wonder if there's going to be a reverse course on that. Are we going to see a push for more clean energy, meaning are they going to force the hand for more solar or anything like that? And are we going to see a big push on the automotive side for electric cars, which, by the way, we can't keep up with energy production unless you slap a solar panel on every house. And part of the what the big green deal that they wanted to do, the, the mean green deal, the big idea is that they um, had to upgrade infrastructure, old homes, things that are out of date, not energy efficient, forced to replace. We're talking a lot of money to do that. Now, think of it this way. If it costs a couple trillion dollars to put into the hands $1,200 per person for the next stimulus package. Think about you as an adult, $1,200. Let's say you're married, so $2,400. How far does $2,400 go when it comes to home repairs? <laughs> Not far. So if I don't know what you're doing. Listen, in some places, $2,400 is a lot of money. I get that. But for the things that they're, they want to force your hand, I don't know if you can get anything done with that. I mean, just think about this. Let's say they wanted more energy efficient vehicles. So they want to get the electric cars in every house. Forget the issues that we have with the batteries and the terrible waste in the batteries themselves, only lasting 10 years or so before they need a replacement. And then the disposal of them are even worse. Think about where you're going to be able to get the electricity for those things. Now you have to uh, find yourself purchasing a new car and get an, uh, uh, some reasons a way for energy to transfer to that car. So you got to put an energy brick or something in your house. $2,400 don't get you that. Well, how about solar panels? What can $2,400 do for solar panels? Not much. You know what $2,400 do for solar panels? I don't even know if you can get someone out there to install them for $2,400 because that's like a three or four day job. A lot of times it takes a lot of time and that's not cheap. Time is not cheap. And a lot of these companies think, well, I could put a roof on a house on and off in a couple of days. Do I really want to spend that much money to get all of this done? Okay, no. So let me just put it this way. So the $2 trillion or whatever, where most of it is going to the uh, trillion and plus some or close to a trillion, I should say, to add an extra stimulus check into individuals. How much would it cost to give people the money to retrofit their homes with all of these things? Too much. Now, even if you were to target current homeowners, which you couldn't, 
then what are you going to do? Renters or youth or anything like that? They're just left out and you're just going to get, well, let's say you wanted to underwrite this or at least give a half credit. So what, you're going to give 15 grand, 20 grand to each homeowner in order to do this to their buildings? No, of course that's not possible. How many more trillions would you add? So what I'm saying is, if some of these different changes in the Keystone Pipeline indicate what they're going to be pushing in the first term of Joe Biden, or at least the first whatever term of Joe Biden, however long he's in office, um, this is something that should be troubling to a lot of people, not just here in the United States, but Canada not too happy with the Keystone Pipeline. Here are some other things that will happen after his inauguration. So uh, in, in the hours after Joe Biden sets foot into the White House, he'll embark on a blitz of executive actions designed to signal a clean break from the Trump administration. Here's some things that they say. A return to the Paris Climate Agreement, the global pact on cutting carbon emissions. Let me point out, too, if you're to look at carbon emissions by country, the United States has actually done better than when they were into the Paris Climate Agreement. Why? Because we don't have to obligate ourselves to an agreement in order to cut carbon emissions, we were doing it naturally. And there's a couple of reasons for it because the market has dictated and people have taken it on themselves. Cities and states have taken it among themselves. They put different initiatives into the power suppliers. And even here locally, you can find that there's a lot of incentives in order for you to try to cut your carbon footprint or whatever it is. And how about that? We didn't need a worldwide agreement in order to do that. We were able to do it on our own, even during the Trump administration, which is something that if you want to go and look during the eight years of the Obama administration, it, it doesn't take that in order to get that accomplished. But they're going to return to it anyway. I guess that we're going to put our name on something that means we're going to obligate ourselves for things that other countries really don't take as serious. Um, here's the repealing of the controversial travel ban. And couple that with some other questions when it comes to caravans of people that are moving across Central America and trying to make their way into the United States, knowing that Joe Biden's going into office. He's talking about um, mass immigration from other countries, just bringing people in not knowing anything about them. So let's just put it this way. When we're talking about immigration, this is going to be another big thing as part of the Biden administration. Uh, mandatory wearing of masks on federal property when traveling interstate. So as traveling, wearing the masks uh, anywhere you go, everywhere you go, forget about the local municipalities or the different governments that have certain restrictions or things. It's just going to put a blanket on. If you're, <laughs> if you're an American, you're going to be wearing it, right? That's something that a lot of people wonder, is that a little bit too much to try to do that on a federal level and supersede the local governments and states who have their own way of how they're handling this? An extension to nationwide restrictions on evictions and foreclosures due to the pandemic. And that is just making things exponentially worse. You want to talk about giving people $1,200 checks again, and you want to do this on a second stimulus check, or was it $1,400? No, $1,400 checks, excuse me, um, for a second time around. I want you to think about people that can't get a job because they keep yo-yoing the economy. And these are areas where the housing's already an issue. So think about the Californias and the New Yorks of the world where they hassle the business owners like crazy. And they, they're doing everything they can to reopen, but still the government hassles them and won't allow it. Even in St. Louis County, all the hassling that went on with Sam Page, it was it's it's bad. It's really bad. And all of these businesses that are struggling, but I'm going to highlight basically these areas like California that have a very difficult time keeping their affordability low. Now, imagine you're paying rent on a small apartment and it's like 2,500 2, or something on a small apartment. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, 
Could you imagine what you can get for $2,500 a month? If, if you are comfortable with paying that on a mortgage, you can get an awesome house. But, you know, let's go over there. Two grand, $2,500 for a two-bedroom apartment or something in some of these large areas in California, plus all the other taxes you have to pay. Well, what the reason I'm mentioning this is because the cost of living is so high. Imagine they continue to add this foreclosure uh, moratorium or the eviction moratorium and all of the extra money that you haven't been able to pay to begin with, couple that with high cost to begin with, and then exponentially push it out further when you can't get a, a, a paycheck because the government shut down your place of employment and you're having a difficult time finding another one. How in the world are you ever going to be able to do that? Let's say you're out of work for five months because of the pandemic and everything else. And let's say your rent is $2,000. That's 10 grand, okay? 10 grand that you owe to someone else. Could be your mortgage, could be your landlord, $10,000. Do you think a $1,400 check is going to be able to cut it? Of course not. So what's going to happen when they keep stopping this moratorium and then eventually the landlords are going to say time to pay the piper we need all your back rent or you're going to be out on the street they're going to go out on the street anyway number one or the government's going to allow some debt forgiveness by paying the landlords directly now think about if fourteen hundred dollars per person costs all these billions of dollars how much extra that's going to be plus what about those who are responsible could you leave those out or should you just maybe do another stimulus? Everyone gets five grand. Everyone gets this. Everyone. We're just going to keep throwing out money, throwing out money. If we want to talk about how bad the national debt grew under Donald Trump, we got to look at what we're going to be faced with in the next couple of years. It's going to be so much worse. At least during Donald Trump, he drove the national debt up in order to rebuild the military and do these other things and try to renegotiate deals with other countries to try to raise how much money we were making here in the United States through tax cuts and other incentives. Now, what we're looking at is, no, we're going to forget about all those other things that had positive economic outcomes, and we're just going to specifically find ways to hand out money. So if you think the national debt's bad now because it's terrible right now, how much worse is it going to get? So looking at some of these actions on day one indicate to me things are just going to be, oh, it's going to hit you in the back of the head here with a baseball bat. That's what it's going to feel like. 314-436-7900 is the number or 800-925-1120. And President Trump still has a couple more days, some pardons uh, that could be coming. We'll talk about that. And he also put a list together of 244 American heroes as part of honoring them through statues in a nationwide garden, I guess a national garden, I should say. So we'll talk about that too and some of the names on there that have local relevance coming up after the break. Are you concerned with some of these uh, things that in the first hundred days, Joe Biden's going to be putting through. Do any of these concern you or are you looking forward to them? Are you thinking this is the right step? We need to do exactly opposite of what Donald Trump did. So you tell me 314-436-7900. I told you why I think these are going to be difficult for us to overcome. This is Overnight America KMOX. And here we are in Overnight America. I always like getting your perspective on these things, mostly because I get my time, but you also get yours if you call in. Or text to 314-436-7900. Let's uh, take Roy, who's calling in first. Welcome to Overnight America. Yes. Why don't you Why don't you just tell everybody to just open up everything. You come out of your basement where you at. Go back to the studio. Don't wear no mask. Just open it all up. It's just open everything up. And, and, and so that the, the economy can just fly, just open it up. 
I well, mean, you don't, don't find don't, it fascinating don't, 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 that wait, they're wait, trying no, to do that right now? No, no, no. You're going to hold on. Roy, haven't you found it strange that that's essentially what they want to do? Like right now, the Biden administration is talking about doing that very thing. Opening the, all the what I'm saying only to you. You don't want no restrictions. You 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 want it. You won't want no masses. Just open it all up. Forget about it. Let the let the kids go back to school. Pack the pack the schoolroom. The teachers don't wear no masks. Don't nobody do nothing. Just open it up. That's all that you and Donald Trump keep talking about. Open it up. Well, let, let me say this, and then I'm gonna be done. This whole thing that happened in Washington D.C. Isn't it funny that? Every vote that was contested was done in the black neighborhood. You know why? Because Donald Trump said it's, that. It's, wait, no, wait, no, I'm no, 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 I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm what you're trying. No, no, Roy, we're going to bring you down. Bring, bring him down. Here's the thing, Roy. If you're going to try to make this into a racial thing right now, after this is not what we were talking about, but you thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call into the show. And we're going to make it into a racial thing by trying to rehash the events in the contention in some of these different states. Maybe that's not the right approach right now. So I'm going to let you rethink that. Go ahead, Roy. I don't have to rethink it. I know what I'm saying. You won't let nobody finish because they ain't talking like you, see? That's what you're mad about. But How you long you been on the line? You've been you on the line like two minutes. Right? No, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. I gave you two minutes. You got an awful lot of time to say whatever you wanted. So you don't get to come on here and say, you don't let me speak. So I'm going to give you one last chance here, Roy, and I'm going to cut you off if you don't take that chance wisely. Go ahead. And then I'll be done. If I had to, if I'm in St. Louis County and I had to go to St. Charles to vote, because there were no voting places, the vote that we were that that that's been expected to come out is that we had early voting ballots that we could vote because we weren't able to go to any polls, and then and then we were able to vote. That's why the massive organized vote came up. Now you can go ahead. I don't know. What was the question there? I don't know. what, what the, the question was, if I had to go to St. Charles and I live in St. Louis to vote because they cut off the, the voting places that we needed to go. But what ended up happening, we had shorter vote. We had we had we had more days to vote. We were able to send, send ballots in to vote and we organized the votes. And when he saw all those votes come in, in those black communities, then he said, I'm going to contest that because they got to be doing something down there. That's why it's like that. They're still in the votes. It's so easy to say that. Yeah. But he won't. Okay, Roy. Uh, you know, and, and I think that I think that trying to make it into a racial issue is a distraction. If anything, I think it's as a wild it's as wild as a conspiracy theory as what you're trying to go out there and rally against. If if you think Donald Trump is, brings up conspiracy theories in order to make his point, I think that one is just as wild. So I guess that's the counterbalance here. <laughs> you could go as wild as you want on your side. But I, I think the real problem that we run into, and I brought this up 
if you want to go from 20 or 30 million mail-in ballots to 100 million mail-in ballots and to think that the there's no margin of error in there, I think that is very unlikely. I don't think you can put a case together in a couple of months. I wonder if they will find some other things in the future. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. What I'm saying is the reason they're doing it is not for reasons of racial disparity. And I think that is a wild conspiracy theory. All right, we'll be right back. It's Overnight America, KMOX. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 